Okay. For backup, because now I'm terribly paranoid. It's real. Oh, you don't have to worry about anything. Too. It's just, yeah. You are? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I need to sync it. I just, for my sake, I am just worried because I don't want to, like, waste your time. And, yeah, we're really, really grateful to have you on the show. And I am super excited about this. Yeah. So I know we've been talking for a while, so it's great to, to get you on here. Yeah, I'm super excited. Or nervous. Um, also, is the word. nervous. Nervited. <laughs> okay. Also, I love I like that, that you dropped your LinkedIn for social media. You're like, that's the only place that I want to connect. <laughs> it's the only social media that I had. I'm on Instagram okay. now, but I haven't been on like actual social media since or, like college, like over a decade. <laughs> it's okay. LinkedIn is trying to steal all the other things from all the other social medias anyway. So I mean, know. it's not not a social media. I just feel like it's like it's just a real choice. It's a business social media, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it worked for me. It's like you wanted all the baggage of people. Well, you know how people when they say networking and it just feels like a lot of baggage. You're like you wanted that in your social platform, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I get like it, just as many people soliciting stuff on there as I do on all the other shows. So. Okay. Here we go. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. What up, everybody? Welcome back to The John Chi Show. It's your boys, KJ, Nathan, Patrick. How we feeling, fellas? Feeling fine, dandy. Fine and dandy, New Year, guys. Fine. Oh yeah, happy Hello. So technically, the day that we are doing this is happy. The headbok money, baraseo. Yeah. The headbok money, baraseo. Uh, yeah. So yesterday, the day that you are listening to it, if you're listening when the episode dropped, was uh official Lunar New Year Day. But uh, at least in Korea, they celebrate three days. So you're still you're in day three of your celebration. <laughs> Go find yourself some toku, eat some kimchi. I don't know bow to someone with a Venmo QR code on the back of your head. <laughs> I actually I saw that. that. Somebody oh. did that. Somebody put some QR codes on some red envelopes. So I thought that was pretty clever. That smart, really smart, smart, smart. Yeah, right? I need um, those extra three days to, or those extra two to be able to <laughs> celebrate appropriately. <laughs> I don't have time today. Patrick's doing like a solo yesterday. Crawl. Yeah, a crawl yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, a three-day crawl. It's fine. Uh, um, <laughs> before we get into the interview, I did just want to say really quickly that my Indiana group um, went to a uh, Lunar New Year celebration somewhere here in Indy. Hey, um, that was really fun. And, That's awesome. Um, one of the like elders from the one of the oldest or the oldest Chinese American association here in Indianapolis got up and spoke and was just like welcoming everyone. And then after that. I went up and talked to him um, because I had taken some flyers for the uh, Adoptee Citizenship Act petition because I was like, oh, this will be a good place to <laughs> Look at to your boy networking. To nice. <laughs> to market like, this. Hey, here's a great New Year's resolution. Get <laughs> this passed. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I went up and spoke with him. Super kind gentleman. Um, his name is Benny. But when I told him I was an adoptee, he immediately stopped me and hugged me and i was like 
Oh. It was it was You're like, really, Sir, really... there's a pandemic happening. Please, <laughs> six yeah. feet away. <laughs> Sir, put your mask back on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was really it was really like sweet um and touching. But also it made me like after the fact, it made me think about like how it's so important for us to be continuing to talk with people who are do do not share this experience from the countries of origin that we we come from and, and making sure that we're making inroads and, and and connecting with our um i don't really i don't know what i'm saying allies um, yeah connecting with our allies but also how i think that there's this disconnect between our allies going out of the way to support us and like knowing that's part of the story and so I think <clears throat> something I was really appreciative of was not only the hug, but also it made me think about the way that the allies open their doors to us and also how this and year being arms. the year of the tiger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, their arms. <laughs> but this year being the year of the water tiger specifically, um, it, I think they, they talked about the water tiger being less aggressive, but more introspective and open to new things i think is how i heard him describe it at the lunar new year celebration so i don't know i just wanted to share that because i thought it was both a touching moment but also made me really think about the dynamic between the adoptee community and the the people who come from the countries of origins that we all come from and how those relationships like interact and intersect and i feel like as part of the new year i thought it was a for me a great way to start off because it was like not only making me think about that, but making me also feel a little bit more connected. And I know for adoptees, Lunar New Year is not something that everybody chooses to celebrate or even mm -hmm. feels comfortable celebrating. Um, and I feel like it's important to hold that uh, with a lot of care and give that a lot of space too. And I felt like it was just weird, but also beautiful to sit in that kind of uncomfort, but also comfort. I don't know. So that's all I wanted to share. <laughs> Coming from you too, Patrick, you're a hugger. I know it caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for it. I was like, he just goes, Chip. Like, for the listener, I did a big hug motion. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, I don't know. It was like, at first, it was like when I first got my hair cut by the mm -hmm. Korean Ajima who cuts uh, yeah. my hair now. Um, but then it really, I like in that moment, I never thought about that dynamic. But in this moment, I really thought about it, maybe because he's Chinese and I'm Korean. Uh, that makes it a little bit different. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the conversation we shared was was interesting, his thoughts about adoption. Um, mm -hmm. And I won't, I'm not going to get into that now. But yeah. I just, you know, I just thought that dynamic was interesting go as we move into this new yeah. year, thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I can't even think if I said something like I was just talking to somebody and told them that I was adopted and then they hugged me because of it. I think that would definitely throw me off guard as well. So, um, but at the same time would be comforting in knowing that in a way they're just, you know, saying, I see you and I hear you and you know, here's a hug. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, I think... maybe COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, I see you. I hear you. Here is virus that makes Here's you... a virus, but we'll also hand out four at home tests faxed. for you when you leave. Yeah. Um, no. So, I mean, yeah, I think it, it certainly is different when you are meeting someone who is from the same region of the world as you, but like they're not from your same country, you know, right. um, because, adoption is such a global enterprise now and because it is in the consciousness of so many people around the world you know th there are lots of different takes around it and so like i don't know we were as you guys know for the listeners we were just dreaming about what we want the john c show to be and one of the things that i hope for our for people who listen to the show uh, and who continue to listen is i hope that 
you become fearless in these Asian spaces and in spaces that you find yourself about your adoptee identity. Um, if that's one of the identities that you hold, I realize not all of our listeners are adoptees, but uh, being fearless about your adoptee identity, I think is really important because just realistically, like probably Asian Americans, whatever intersection, whatever intersection Asian you are, um, they're going to be like, well, this is where our people come to hang out and not have the maybe self-awareness to realize that like for adoptees, those spaces can be really hard to find, can be really intimidating, can be this, that, or the other. But as adoptees, if we're really fearless and being there and being like, look, I'm adopted, but I'm here. Then like, even if you meet another Asian American, who's like, ah, oh, why aren't you like, you know, meet one who's particularly abrasive and greets you with fists and face slaps instead of hugs. Like you can just brush yourself off and be like, no, this is, regardless this is who i am this i'm here now and i'm doing all that i can to uh work together to continue to grow um this greater sense of community and fellowship in the asian diaspora you know and and however that works out so yeah i think just that that sense of fearlessness is really important moving moving ahead um to begin to fight for a greater awareness of our existence and how to interact with us and all those things not that it's like all that hard <laughs> but i think that i think that like i don't i don't find that we're particularly difficult people but i do think that there is a the disconnect that we feel as adoptees to asian communities i think exists like the other direction as well and sure. uh yeah. so just being fearless about who you are and being um kind and open and like just here to make friends and, and build relationships is so important. So I'm glad you did that, man. I'm glad you had that experience and that it was received well. Uh, yeah, and thanks. I'm excited for, um, for the, what, like that, the, what comes out of that. But what you kind of what you said too. I mean, I, I agree that uh, we're not difficult to talk to, but um, I mean, I am, I'm kind yeah, of the well, worst. Some of us are notoriously maybe. the worst KJ to maybe. talk to Notoriously, everyone else. Yeah. Everyone else is really <laughs> Infamously. easy, but the fact that people do not know, you know, our backstory, they don't know our identity, they don't know who we are. And so in a way, that's what's difficult is they don't know. And the only way of knowing is by talking with us, or being open or listening to us or sharing our show or, you know, whatever you need to do <laughs> yeah. to by wearing a shirt that says, Sorry, I'm that adopted. Was just a little yeah, yeah. Or, yeah wearing person. a shirt that says adopted on it. But, you know, branding, hey, buy a shirt. No, the, <laughs> the point is that once they do find out, like, you know, with Patrick, they gave him a hug. It, it, it was like, that right there is like acknowledgement. And so I think, uh, you know, I think more and more of that is happening. And I think more awareness, more of this movement of, of uh, um, support is happening. And I think we should just keep that wave going, keep, keep the support, keep listening, keep asking questions um, and, and go from there. Yeah. And I honestly, I think <clears throat> I appreciate both of, of what you said. I think it's a really good segue into our interview today um, we were very fortunate and privileged to have Amanda Paul on the show. And, um, I'm not going to spoil anything about really what we talk about. Uh, but we have a really deep, impactful conversation about, um, being fearless in our identities, but also what, what it takes to find that, what it takes to get to that point, how we navigate our journeys to become fearless and to, mm -hmm. to live into and lean into those identities. And Amanda shares so much. Uh, I feel like the past two guests that we've had have provided us with a lot of new language. Oh, man. And They've I think been we'll mm -hmm. so generous with their stories. Absolutely. absolutely. And um, we're definitely going to get into that here. So without further ado, we're going to kick it over to the interview with Amanda Paul. Let's go. Hey. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the John Chi Show. We are here with the one and only Amanda Paul. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling grateful to be here uh, and nervited as we, uh, <laughs> as I just shared something. Nervited, nice. yeah, nervous, excited. That is nice. a great portmanteau of the English language. Um, yeah, well, we're excited to have you. Um, we would like you to start, we'd like to start the interview off the way that we do with all of our interviews and invite you to share your adoption story in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with uh, what I know from my adoption files. Um, so I was born in Pyeongtaek, South Korea in 1990 um, and was transferred to what is now known as the Eastern Social Welfare Society. Um, up in Seoul, uh, and I'm kind of guessing at the timeline a little bit, um, but I believe that was about few, uh, a few days after I was born. <clears throat> um, and then within a couple of weeks, I was sent to live with a foster family. Uh, and then at five months old, I was taken to Chicago, where I met my parents for the first time. Um, five months later, I became a sister for the first time when my brother was born. Uh, so my parents have one biological child. Um, and I was raised by a, a white Catholic um, working class cishet couple on the north, northwest side of Chicago um, in a pretty diverse neighborhood. Uh, it was very Polish, very Puerto Rican, um, lots of South American families, actually, um, lots and lots of immigrant families. Um, I mean, I was still the only Korean or East Asian base I ever saw around. Um, so I was raised in the city, but I grew up in, um, or just kind of like circulated almost exclusively white spaces. Um, I'm the only person of color that my parents have ever, in my lifetime at least, had a meaningful relationship with. Um, so all of their friends, all of our extended family members are all white. <clears throat> um, and I really had no racial mirrors growing up. Um, and I gravitated towards mostly white friend groups too, for a really long time. Um, and Korean culture was just also not really present, let alone celebrated, uh, in my house. Um, and I really didn't have any relationships with other adoptees either until last year. Um, but it was, you know, obviously not ever a secret that I was adopted. I <laughs> would, it would be really entertaining to see them try to hide. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, wait, how did you, how, how did this happen? I don't understand. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the, the story that I was told to, of course, was, um, you know, that someone loved me so much that they had to give me away. Um, and people uh. just like out in public would approach my family and ask if they could touch me. I mean, if I was lucky, they would ask. Um they would ask my parents if I was their real kid um, or more frequently, or for me, at least in my memory, it seemed like more frequently I was asked like, are those people your real parents? Um, I was stared at a lot and like pointed at by adults. Um, and my parents' reactions to those things, I think were not super helpful for anyone involved, like definitely not helpful for me and kind of harmful. Um, and definitely didn't invite like any conversation around adoption. Um, and then at home, privately, I think 
um, the conversation around adoption was not really about adoption. Um, like my mom, I can remember my mom would ask me, uh, like if I'd ever thought about my birth mother, but I knew that there was like a right answer to that or an expected answer to that because it was also framed in, um, like, do you think about your birth mother, but you're happy here. Right. And I'm a good mom. Right. And like, you love us. Um, and there was a lot of that kind of like ownership language, like, will you belong to us kind of in a way that didn't really feel like belonging to me, I think. Um, and I can remember like tiny me having to kind of comfort her through some of those conversations. And that has definitely been a pattern in my life. Um, so I have a very boundaried relationship with my parents right now. Um, and that's definitely intentional for me. Um, my earliest memories of witnessing and experiencing, I think, um, you know, racism and xenophobia and so much homophobia, um, ableism, classism, all the things, and just generally a lot of, uh, emotional violence, all of those things I experienced first from my family. Um, I was told to ignore a lot of things like things that I was experiencing at school. And my parents took a very, uh, definitely color evasive and um, authoritarian approach, I think, to raising me and kind of to our relationship. Um, So growing up, I really felt like I didn't have a lot of support um, from my parents or in any adult. It just didn't feel safe. Um, And I learned, I think, at a relatively young age that I just couldn't really trust them to emotionally support me. Um, I mean, and without having that language, it was just kind of something that I felt. And so I stopped confiding in them and stopped asking for help or asking for anything really. And I just felt like I was experiencing this abandonment kind of over and over and over again. Um, so my child brain, like if the people responsible for caring for me were not listening and dismissing me and minimizing painful things that I was experiencing, I just didn't really have a reason to believe that anyone else would be supportive at that point. And I really internalized that, I think, that um, idea of like, I shouldn't expect anything from anyone else. And I think I also kind of felt like I didn't deserve anything from anyone else. Um, And I really became really hyper independent in a way that I think was externally viewed as like, wow, look how well adjusted and self-sufficient and high-achieving Amanda is when I was just, like, trying to survive, really. Um, And that really set me up for decades of just feeling really lonely and um, just so much fear and, like, rage, honestly, um, from feeling so isolated for so long, I think, just in a really unsustainable way. Um, I mean, and I also don't want to sound like I think my childhood was just like a complete tragedy by any means. Like I also had an an immense amount of privilege that I'm very aware of. Um, But unpacking all of this stuff, all of my adoption trauma um, has kind of been one of my COVID projects, I guess. Um, All right. (laughs) Seems to be a trend. I feel like the John Chi show is like all of our COVID projects. So. (laughs) Exactly. 
I think we've had a lot of people say that they've reflected a lot over this past few years. So. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I, mm-hmm. and that's been super validating for me too. Like, Oh, we're all going through this thing right now. And like, I wonder what that is like that it's happening right now at this time. Um, but so it's been a pretty solid year of, for me working through this for myself and it still feels very new. Um, and there's, you know, just through COVID in general, absolutely been a lot of loss and um, pain and just isolation from that, just like literally being physically isolated. Um, But spending so much time at home, I think for me has also forced me to just be with my thoughts a lot um, and kind of just like be comfortable with silence. And that's what it's been filled with. And um, it's also been really supportive of my healing, I think, in that way. Um, And it's, allowed me to really intentionally shift who I surround myself with um, and where I spend my time and energy. And I, this year, I'm really trying to live into my values right now. And that has meant that some folks have been invited to participate in my life in a different way. Um, And for some folks, that means that they're participating less. Um, And I just realized last year that family has always been chosen for me, but I was never the one doing the choosing. Um, so like, no wonder that I felt so alone and unsafe and all of these things. Um, and I feel very much in control of that now, or like I'm starting to be able to do that. Um, like I have boundaries now. I know what boundaries are and that's a new thing. <laughs> um, and that's been <laughs> super challenging and painful. Um, and has, I think, created the circumstances for me to feel free to kind of like relearn myself now and give myself permission to just be myself um, and kind of like express myself in the ways that feel natural to me instead of continuing to try to actively suppress things about myself um, that felt, I don't know, unacceptable, I guess. Um, So it's really been a gift. Um, I mean, and then this identity work has led to so many other things kind of like trickling down. Like it is definitely what led me to learn just last year that I'm autistic. Um, so it's really been like an incremental kind of like unlocking of pieces of myself, um, in a really exciting way. And just like that piece even has just provided so much more context to, past experiences. I'm thinking about things totally differently now. Um, I think I really had a, like a strong questioning and creative nature and a a pretty strong connectedness to my intuition as a child that I was very aware of as a child. And they were just kind of, those things were kind of shamed out of me. Um, So I feel like I'm coming back to that kind of self-awareness. Um, Speaking of your childhood, when you were talking about that a little bit about awareness and realizing those things, did you at any point um, when you were feeling lonely and feeling more separated uh, from like the Korean culture, did you try to look for any culture? Did you look for uh, anything of, uh, I don't know. Nathan's like, did you maybe try specifically looking in an encyclopedia? Because when I was growing up, he was an encyclopedia yeah, I had nothing other than an encyclopedia. Um, but I was also in a very small town. You're in Chicago. I was just curious if there was any 
um, need or feeling that, oh, maybe I can find a, a group or some other people to connect with. A small enclave yeah. of Koreans. Um, as a kid, that just was not even a thought for me. I like pretty actively distanced myself from anything having to do with adoption, definitely anything um, that even had like a whiff of Asian-ness to it. Like yeah. I really, which is just like, how? how? Yeah. You, can't you were like, it. go Poland. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. No, I think I everyone did the exact that. same thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I did the opposite, like deeply the opposite. No, I, I, I literally like, yeah, I'm going, away. I don't care where it's from. Is, is it from China? Dibs. Is it from <laughs> Vietnam? Dibs. Is it from Russia? Dibs. I just, I want all of it. Give me all of it. Ugh, I love that. And I, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, like I looked in the mirror and that was literally the only interaction that I had with a Korean face. Like there was, <laughs> um, not, I mean, and, and it's, it's interesting cause I've heard other adoptees too talk about like having wanted to be white. And I don't think, I don't remember that for myself, but I just remember thinking like, I don't exist anywhere else. Like I'm an alien. I don't know, but I don't exist anywhere else. Um, and so I just didn't want to be me, I think. Not that I like mm. wanted to be white, but I, yeah, definitely avoided even like eating anything, not that my parents were cooking Asian food, but like eating, bringing anything Asian to school. I wouldn't use chopsticks. <laughs> like I really, I didn't listen to like Asian music or consume any kind of content. I just like wanted to be quote unquote American, um, you know, having that very narrow view of what an American was at that point. Yeah. I mean, I just forgot, honestly, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to be white. I would just forget you just that forgot? I was Asian. Yeah. I would literally wow. forget I was Asian until I'd walk past a mirror or something. Yeah, I get, that's wild. I get that. I think right? I definitely mm -hmm. was one of the people who wanted to be white. I remember vividly like by my bedside when you'd let, kneel down and pray at night, like praying to God about that. But I think something I've never thought about what which you just said um, or what you just touched upon of not wanting to be white, but wanting to just be somebody else. I'd never have thought I've never thought about it that way, but I 100 percent. That's what I was doing, because even when I got into like college and like got it became an adult, I think I've always been chasing an, like another life, just not who I am currently. Um, and while I think a lot of that goes back to the internalized whiteness of growing up in a predominantly white community in that culture. Um, I do think it was not so much. I wanted to change me so much as I didn't want to be me at that point in time. So I appreciate you saying that because I think it's so simple. It's right there, but I don't think I'd really thought about it in that way either. Like literally leaving my body and inhabiting something else. So thank you for making me think about that. <laughs> you made me think a lot. Well, yeah, you made I me mean... think about a lot of things uh, actually <laughs> with, with, what, with what you shared. So I want to thank you for sharing because multiple things that I was thinking about um, just resonate with my own story, your story, and just thinking about things that I haven't really thought about before in a long time, like suppressed thoughts. Like when you talked about not wanting to be touched or like when people would come up and touch you, like uh, people would always come up to me and want to touch my hair. And I hated that because it was so it was thick really? and it was straight and people would always do that. And I think and I think at one point I would just like it happened so often that I just went with it. But I really, really, really hated that. And I never told my parents like I never told anybody that I didn't like it because then that's like, 
oh, well, now he's the complainer. He just whines about people touching his hair. And it's just like, well, no, I just like it's just something deeply like unsettling about it, I think. And just like and commodified in that way. You know, it's like I'm not a person like I'm a pet uh, almost. Mm-hmm. So, well, you're just a, I mean, it's just like in, intrinsically othering. Yeah, exactly, right. Because exactly. everyone knows yeah. like when people are reaching out to you exactly. like you're an alien to touch some feature that they don't have. They're like, would you literally they're literally saying through their actions, which, as we all know, speak louder than words. You are other. Right. And I think like even even to your point of like, I just want to be American. Like I never thought I never thought consciously. I wish I was a white person, but I did consciously choose to focus like in high school i was like well i i can't be fully korean or i can't you know be whatever my dreams my childish dreams would allow me to be so i'm going to focus on the things that i can be and that's a good part of my white family that's a good christian a good texan like all of these things that are just coding for whiteness you know what i mean because no one was explicitly talking about race and no one was explicitly talking about uh what it means to be a person of color i think i mean generally no one was explicitly talking about it, but in some communities, you know, maybe there were, uh, more, more explicit talks about that stuff, you know? And so, yeah, I just think it's, it's so interesting. Um, and something that I think we, we often find is how people either lean into or bounce back from like proximity to whiteness. Uh, and I, I think that, I mean, just personally, I think that's extra, intersectional when you consider that we Korean adoptees are also East Asians. And so like just broadly speaking, the East Asian proximity to whiteness is, I mean, in question maybe these days, but generally for most of our lifetimes has been like pretty, pretty close. Well, been presented to us as like, right. right, Yeah. Definitely adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think that that's so interesting. So Amanda, listening to your story, I mean, I'm hearing all of these things around setting up boundaries and keeping people at an arm's length and all these things. And I I know that there's a shift that happens, uh, I guess, just in COVID um, around some of your identity work and and maybe resetting your boundaries or learning to put them up, whichever, (laughs) whichever that one is. Um, But what's, I mean, what's happened between the growing up times and the COVID times, like, uh, I don't know, where did, did you just continue to like kind of keep people at arm's length? Like what was your, um, your way of navigating the world? Um, I guess I still feel like, I guess like like relationally, I still feel like I'm in the growing up times. All right. Um, I, and like when I talk about boundaries, I, just really didn't have them relationally for (laughs) Mm. up until like last year um boundaries in my family like without calling them boundaries have in my experience been treated as like well if you're not going to tell me everything if you're not gonna let me into every part of your life then that means that you don't want me to be involved like family is supposed to tell Mm. them tell each other everything Um, which like maybe if you're in a family that has emotional and psychological safety and trust, um, and also even then, (laughs) uh, maybe also also you're not entitled to know all of the things about everyone all the time. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, I think this was, this was at some point in COVID, um, I learned a new definition for boundaries, um, from Prentice Hemphill. If any of y'all are familiar, mm-hmm. it's like Patrick, maybe. Um, they're a um, somatic 
practitioner and healer and an author and um, transformative justice um, educator. I guess I don't know if they would use that word. Um, but they're a, a, a person that I follow a lot um, for um, kind of mindfulness things. Um, and their <clears throat> definition of boundaries is the distance at which I can love me and you at the same time. And that has, that was kind of, and I don't want to sound like hyperbolic, but really life-changing for me because it was so different from the definition of boundaries that I grew up with. <laughs> that was like, yeah. okay, so I guess I'll just never have boundaries then. Um, and so that is kind of the frame that I try to work with. And so like, I, I mean, really at the time of the Atlanta shootings, um, that highlighted a lot of things in my relationships for me that I just didn't want anymore. Um, and then reflecting on those relationships, I, uh, just felt like I was putting a lot of time and energy into people and like gatherings and doing things that I just wasn't getting anything out of. And I also don't want to sound like I expect like all relationships to be one for one, like reciprocal in every way, but I just like kept putting in time to people that I just didn't get a lot back from. I didn't feel supported mm -hmm. by them. I didn't feel heard by them. Um, so those relationships are definitely different now. Um, my circles are definitely a lot less white, to be honest now. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also include a lot more many more adoptees now. That's awesome. Great. Um, yeah, I love that quote uh, and that understanding of boundaries. It, to me, it sounds appropriately bollock, uh, not hyperbolic, <laughs> uh, just because, I mean, like, even for me hearing that, I'm like, oh, that is, that actually actively reframes my worldview and actively shapes how I want to engage with people. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's life-changing. Um, for as long as I hold on to that idea and subscribe to that idea, especially like that will have changed my life. So, uh, yeah, that, that's really wonderful. I'm curious because I have like nervousness around this. How, um, did you go about shifting your circles from predominantly white peoples to predominantly or maybe not predominantly but like just less white people and like feeling like you um like in making making those jumps for me i am always like oh man i i've recently come into an understanding of being a person of color that still doesn't like imposter syndrome still like pops its head up some, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know if I should be here. Uh, what was that process like for you in terms of trying to find um, a new group of people, a new demographic of people to interact with and, and fill you up? Hmm. Um, so I, so I think my work had a huge impact on that. Um, I started a new job in the pandemic. Um, I work with an organization called Morton Group now. Um, and I started with them part-time while I was still working a different full-time job um, and kind of like easing into that. And then that turned into a, a full-time thing because it just was a place that is unlike any other workplace I've ever worked at. Um, so we're a, a Chicago-based consulting group um, and we provide uh, 
a suite of um, organizational development services to uh, all kinds of organizations across the country. Um, and the way that we do our work is through um, or really rooted in racial equity. Um, so we do uh, like executive search and placement, strategic planning, and um, we're working with a lot of organizations that are still predominantly white, still led by middle-aged white guys. Um, so being able to do that work, but not be an employee at those companies, which I have been in the past, has been a really interesting experience. Um, and just the team of folks that I work with are so incredibly generous and mm. caring in a way that I think I learned what care could be in a different way. I mean, care without strings attached really um, is what it is. And so just being around this group of people who are so dedicated to the work and who are actively, like I can see and I've experienced are actively doing their own personal work. Like we're all doing our own kind of shadow work um, is what some folks call it. Um, the work of like, recognizing our own biases and, um, you know, holding each other accountable um, and recognizing where we've caused harm ourselves, and working to not do that at the interpersonal level with each other in a space that feels so safe um, has really, I think, made it easier for me to have those conversations. Not that they are at all easy <laughs> still, but like I have right. language <laughs> now, you know, and like I get to practice it, like, kind of practice it at work because I can do it with people that I feel safe with. Um, so that has been really healing in that way. And I also, I mean, when I'm talking about boundaries or like, you know, people being in my life less or differently, I also don't believe that people are disposable. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I really feel a responsibility to work at those relationships for myself and for like the world, like I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't believe that people could change um, as long as we're alive. And I really believe that that's true. So that is kind of a motivator for me. Um, and so I've just been having these conversations with folks and like, based on how that goes, like it's kind of join in or join out, I guess. But like, yeah. this is where I'm at right now. And this is what I can and cannot invite into my life at this moment. That is That's your awesome. Great. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember what my question was, but that's great. <laughs> I just, I was just like, anytime you talk, I'm just like so into it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah. Just I like, think it's, a, just... I think it's, I think it's really incredible when you find yourself in a space with people that are actively working on themselves when you've been, when your circle has been so filled with people who think that they're already there and mm -hmm. the shift, the, the shift, like the atmospheric shift is so it's so it's i said incredible it's like seismic i hate to i don't know if that's a, a dumb metaphor but it's like i feel the movement uh, uh, might be a little my body. try to be more bollock. But it, yeah i'm sorry uh i feel the movement within me like when that when i when i'm in the different spaces because i still have i have friends that um from my old friend group that i'm still close with like really close with you know people that stood up with me at my wedding and one of the hardest things has been to start having these conversations that I've just started to learn about in my own life as I work on myself with them. And, you know, something that I feel very privileged about is that I've had 
people in my life from before, from the before times, um, who were who have been willing to engage in that conversation. And like you talk about, Amanda, um, like you have the conversation and you and it's a gauge almost. Like you're like, let, this is where I am, and like let me see where you meet me at, and then maybe this is as far as we go for now. And I think I feel really, I feel. I feel again really privileged to be able to be, to be able to do that, um, but also to know that there are other people out there that are actively working on themselves and like who are willing to sit and have the hard conversation because it is hard to have the hard conversation, even with a bunch of people who are doing it already and make it look easy. Like I, the people that just make it look like it's nothing, like to be so vulnerable when we know that it is for them too. Still, you know, it's still hard. It's still difficult um but yeah i don't know that's just like i think hearing you talk about finding that at work it really just made me think about the the shift that occurs when you first get yourself into those spaces and then as you go and maybe find yourself back in in those older spaces so thank you for that and i also feel it's difficult like you were saying patrick um with people that have been in your circle because they've been close friends with you because you've had a relationship and you've had a history of too much history yeah Yeah. doing sure a a pattern or something that has happened before and then trying to shift that a little bit with either just you know your your feelings your your what you've discovered and is is tough right and um and i i mean i i've been very fortunate to have a lot of people come forward you know in my life that have said i love what you're doing and so that is what i i like to hear i don't want the oh so you know the ones who question it in a different way like that's the ones that i'm like okay so you were not there yet so but the ones who come forward and straight off just like i love what you're doing i totally you know uh understand and and listen and and want to help and stuff like that that's the those are the relationships that i i find value in so yeah and i think too like like when you find that language having a safe space to practice using it i think is really important and that's part of um, what sounds so wonderful about this group, uh, your coworkers, especially, um, is like, if you are gaining new language, like it's hard as a, anyone who's older than maybe eight year old, maybe 10 year old to like try on new language and see how it feels. Cause you don't want to look like a fool. Uh, and, and I think we all, we all feel like that, you know, and, um, whether it's like an actual different language or just new ways of speaking, new manners of speaking. And, um, I, that's something that I find I struggle with is like, oh, I, I have all these new thoughts and I think I have these new ideas, but I've not spoken them. So they're not crystallized. I haven't spoken them. So they're not fully formed, but I don't have any safe spaces where I can like say something to be like, that's a little messed up and people don't just immediately come for me. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and so, yeah, I think just, especially thinking about, you know, with the, the thought experiments of like, okay, so my person that I'm close to is acting at me like this. And I think I want to try to approach it this way. Can we like talk about like how that conversation might go? Or even for you, if it's, um, finding out that you're autistic and what, what that means and, and maybe retconning, part of your history or thinking critically about what that means going forward and how you interact with people. Yeah. I think that that's like those ability, those spaces to practice with language and those abilities, those spaces to try out new ways of thinking and be like, okay, I want to like have a safe space where I can do this so that I can present well for myself, like who I want to be and not appear, appear like a fool. Um, is really, really cool. So 
I'll break off into a random uh, um, comment here that I saw your cat walk by, and I swear Patrick did this. <laughs> and look, try to look around his <laughs> microphone. I actually, <laughs> yeah, I did look up you did around to try and get a better look at the cat, but gone. I saw <laughs> it. what I saw. I was like, what shoulder? are you looking at? And then I saw the cat, and I was like. She did not both. lean her camera in for me just to be able to look at her cat. I mean, she my was, cat's just right here. Yeah, both, my, both Patrick and KJ have cats, too, and I used outside. to have a cat. Or not outside, oh. but out. Uh, you can just see the tail. Yeah, you can just, just see, the see the tail. <laughs> the camouflage yeah. cat. I also did not see the cat. <laughs> I promise she's there. It's fine. <laughs> well, didn't we actually have, we had another interview once where there was, there was an animal in the back and we didn't notice it was an animal or something for like the longest time. Like, well, no. Oh, maybe. I think it was another um, cat one. Anyways. Yeah. But. So. Oh, sorry. Did you have something? No, no that was, that was all. I, okay, I great. don't have anything else um, important because <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Great. Here's another left turn. Um, Amanda, thinking about. Actually, I don't want to go there. Ooh, now I want to know. That's fine. Yeah, now well, I, wanna I know. just. No, it's fine. We might get there later, but I'm actually going to keep it here. Um, so when you started your story, you dropped that you were born in Pyeongtaek. Mm-hmm. And the way you said it, like, you sound like you studied Korean. Is that accurate? I do. Ooh. Ooh. I feel bad now. <laughs> what like what level of study, fluency, non-fluency are you with Korean? Oh, okay. The cat is knocking things over now. Um, <laughs> so when I say I do study, it's like a real loose kind of study. Yeah, that you're I'm like. Doing. I mean, I, I watch the occasional K drama. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the K dramas now. Um, okay. I. I have like Duolingo. I don't know. I have all the apps, not that I use all of them. Um, I took a couple of classes that were like a semester long. Um, one last, or not last December, not a month ago. Um, so two Decembers ago. And then I did another one uh, spring of last year. Um, and that was great. And having like a person help help me with pronunciation, mm. like correct me and ju- just like, converse with is super helpful and something that I really need. Um, but I just also don't love school. Um, and that was a little <laughs> too schooly for me. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, so then I kind of just, and since then I've just been kind of like self pacing it. Um, but yeah, I do it pretty consistently. Um, I just, uh, uh, am working on volunteering with the Hana center in Chicago, which, mm. um, supports a, Korean um, community as well as I think uh, other immigrant communities with Mm -hmm. um, different like social and um, cultural services and educational programs and stuff. And one of the things that they provide is ESL tutoring. Um, So I'm working on volunteering with them in that space. Um, It's like 12 hours of uh, orientation that I have to go through. Mm. Um, But my therapist actually suggested it as a potentially like a cute way to connect with some Korean folks and potentially practice my Korean. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Sorry. I just, <laughs> I don't know if it's how you hit cute or just like the, like hearing cute in that context. I was like, oh yeah. And this is where the mute cute starts. And then you have uh, a budding K drama in your life. I was just about to say like the K drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll have like a dumb, like half English name. That'll be great. Um, <laughs> that's really fun. That's cool. I, I haven't thought about trying to do ESL in my own Korean community, but maybe I should check that out. You should. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about it right now. So, okay, here's the question that I didn't want to go to, but I think... Um, Now's the time. I think it... Uh, well, it, it kind of relates in this. Like, 
what um no this is the question before the question you're building it what up made much. you decide to it's not it's just this is my brain out loud I got you. Uh, because i haven't hosted in a while so i'm like yeah um what made you decide to jump into koreanness because if i remember correctly you were like no no korea no asia really just any other continent when you were younger so what was that shift caused by um I think it was, uh, I had worked with a career coach in, it was around the time I was transitioning jobs, so 2019, spring, summer of 2019, um, who really is amazing and brought up a lot of identity work for me as like, have you ever thought about this and this and um, that was kind of where that was planted for me I think um and then so I started getting more like looking for more Asian spaces they just happened to all be East Asian spaces not that I was specifically looking for that um and I was like oh it's a little problematic um but so I found that but I really didn't I mean I felt very alone in those spaces, I think. Um, I think I just wasn't ready for them at the time that I was approaching them. Um, but a lot of like the connection in those groups I was finding was around like food and like having immigrant parents and having Asian parents and just the stuff that I still couldn't identify with, yeah. I felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that led me, that really led me to look more for adoptee spaces. Um, and then I really think just around the time of the Atlanta shooting that I couldn't even articulate to you what, why that happened. But then I was just like Korean everything forever. (laughs) (laughs) Forever. (laughs) I'm never going back. Uh, That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That's a standout moment of the entire John C. show, I think. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, Korean everything. Yeah. I felt forever. like we transitioned from K-drama to anime, uh, which I know is more Japanese, but just like, yeah. we just it was just a, like one of those slash cuts. That's when it, Amanda does her special move, yeah. and her special move is called Korea everything. And then you're running, and there's like a little like yeah. movement uh, animation in the background. Yeah. Amazing. I really uh, that. Yeah, oh man, that's cool. I No, I get that. I think, I mean, I think that moment for me really highlighted not just because I think COVID um, was like a journey into myself and thinking about my adoptee identity. I I saw that you had met up with Patrick via clubhouse. So we were all kind of like doing that, like adoptees on the internet, we can do this thing. And then Atlanta really highlighted for our community, what it meant to be part of the greater Asian American diaspora and what it meant, uh, Asian diaspora, I guess, uh, but the Asian American community and highlights Certainly the things that make us different, um, but also the things that bring us together. And so I, I definitely understand that sentiment of like, oh, I'm digging in hard right now. Um, that in the wake of our people's tragedy, like we're going to find things to celebrate and love and uh, and really um, be loud about, which I think is wonderful. So uh, I'm curious if you're cool getting into it, that's fine. If, if you don't want to, that's also fine. Um, you mentioned in your form and also maybe in the podcast – during the interview uh that you were you grew up in a catholic home uh and grew up with with white parents um and on your form you put a bunch of intersectional identities which is incredible but i'm curious specifically um how 
it's been being an adoptee and doing all of this work and also being uh, queer. And how have those journeys mirrored each other or not mirrored each other? Or, yeah. Um, that is a great question. Yep, good question. That uh, I haven't really thought about, I guess. Um, I mean, for me... And I, I think it's, that's hard for me to answer because, and I, so like when I, um, I sought out a formal autism diagnosis last year, I 100% think self-diagnosis is a valid form of diagnosis. Um, it was just something that I needed for me. And then at that point, so it was just kind of like a validation to get that. And then I found myself trying to like, or seeing all of these similarities and like oh is this an experience that I had because of autism or is it because I'm a person of color or is it because I was adopted and I was wanting to like put these things into specific buckets um and I so I think for me that is kind of what I'm feeling now like I don't know how to separate them I guess or to compare them um but for me I think and just like a more expansive idea of what queerness is. It's also absolutely something that I've learned and feel kind of invited into from my colleagues as well. We're a very black and brown organization, very, very queer. Um, That's also, I think, why my experience here has been so completely different (laughs) than all of the corporate places that I've worked before this. But so just like understanding that it can mean so many different things and what it meant for me um, previously, uh, because I absolutely consider, I'm hesitating because I don't really identify, I guess, as disabled, but I don't know if that's like internalized ableism. I guess I would consider myself sometimes disabled. Um... But I, anyway, so I had a, I had a, just a different idea of what like queerness could be. Oh, so I, I consider like disability justice very much tied to queerness and just like lack of equity, <laughs> just not, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the way that, yeah, these group, these communities are, you know, and the harms that we've experienced and the ways that we're systemically just not cared for um so the and just like in the way that I felt for so long like I am an alien like there are so many social things that I just don't understand and I do them because I know that I'm expected to do them and because that allows me to like essentially pass um in society um or like be I'm more likely to be accepted if I'm like doing these things that feel extremely unnatural to me but are just like accepted (laughs) as a norm um and I'm so sorry. There are so many noises in my background right now. I'm having a really hard time concentrating. <laughs> no, you're good. Going. Your cat was and going you, after. You have two cats. Another yeah. cat. I didn't know you had two cats. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it's getting close to dinner time. So oh. like, yeah, there was a shooting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, street yeah. across the street. Shooting. There was a confrontation <laughs> that we witnessed. <laughs> Incredible. I love it. Uh, so sorry. Distracted. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that that's lovely. 
Um, I don't have a lot of like in my place of living and also like most of the spaces that I have, I don't have the privilege of interacting with a lot of people in the queer community, but, um, every time I do and every moment of representation that I get to see, which obviously mostly is Hollywood. So it's like, kind of like, it's either like rose colored glasses or like, I don't know, it's a real opposite end of the spectrum, I think. Um, but for me, like not being queer and being like, and trying to seek out that worldview and that way of being like, it sounds like it would be a really um, healing thing for you. Um, and you can tell me if this resonates with you or not, but it sounds like it would be really healing because like to be, I would, I would think that part of being queer is just always being othered and learning to love yourself through that. And so like, if you're, if you're feeling like, ugh, I'm always in, like, I am an alien. This is just how I am. Then finding yourself in and amongst queer folks, it would be like, then love that and celebrate that and and feel joyful and wonderful about that because no one else is going to. Um, so for me, like being disabled and uh, some other like intersectional identities for myself, like even, even the simple act of like watching Queer Eye <laughs> is like very like, there are certain moments in that show where I need someone that comes from an othered background and an othered walk of life to speak truth into my own life. And so I, I, so, but I, I regularly think about, you know, when we talk about, um, adoptees coming out of the fog, right. Um, I've heard one adoptee take that, extend that to coming out of the fog of whiteness. Um, but for me, I think of coming out, like coming out is the part that I fixate on, um, because there is a real coming out and, uh, how then do you announce to a world who had certain expectations about who you are? No, I'm actually something different. And you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that, you know? Um, and so whenever we have the privilege on the show of, uh, or, I mean, or personally, but usually on the show, cause we're talking about adoptee stuff too. Um, I'm always curious about parallels between a queer person's journey in their identity, in that part of their identity and an adoptee's journey. Because I think as an adoptee, as a cishet adoptee, I have so much that I desperately need to learn from the queer community about how to do this wonderfully and well and gracefully and figure out what it means to love myself and and all those kinds of things uh from a i think especially from a body point of view um for from a queer person to a disabled person figuring out like yeah what does it mean to love my body well and what does it mean to celebrate who i am well and mm -hmm. those kinds of things so yeah i just um I'm really grateful that you're on the show and I'm grateful for as much of your stories you've shared and, uh, all of your, your candor and wonderful vulnerability and honesty. And yeah, that's it for, for my questions at this point. <laughs> I wish I could but just I'm gonna... take KJ's answer. That was, <laughs> that was, I think what I was, um, kind of thinking that that well, othering but... is definitely a huge piece of it for me. And I don't know yeah. that I even would have used the word queer had I not been working where mm -hmm. I am and understood that like it can be, that's why I feel the way that I feel because I hold all of these identities that are not cared for by society and that I have felt like, oh, I, I don't know where I belong because it doesn't seem like it's here. Um, and seeing that pattern in all of those, in those each of those communities and all the identities that I hold is for me, what is that piece that kind of ties it all together? Yeah. And I think for me, like the, the queer, queer as a word, uh, and as it's like being owned by that community is just like, we exist in gray spaces. 
And like, that's, I think for, for the show, that's what we try to do is exist in gray spaces and be cool and celebrate gray spaces. And however many shades of gray there are, we're here to celebrate any and all of them. So, yeah. Agreed. KJ's a good talker, so we let him do all of the eloquent <laughs> um, stuff. Yeah, and I typically we just, want we just his answers in. too, though. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's it. Yeah. So we can jump into food now? Sure. Well, so we'll be I'm back. Right. Lead. Yeah, we'll be back oh, right, yeah, that's after right I'm not the one. this break. Bow. Welcome back to the John Chief Shazu. <laughs> Welcome back to. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm doing it again. It's going right at the top. <laughs> Welcome it's back to the John Chief Show food portion, where Woo. we are going to try something that I did not realize what it was until just now, because I can't read any of the Hangul on it. So um, we just had a great interview with Amanda Paul, and now we are going to break into these uh, sticks, which I didn't know were sticks at the time. So, I mean, there's sticks I mean, on the box. There's sticks on the box, but <laughs> the color is very blended. And then it's not even it's not even the stick that it could be fire if you think about it too, right? Like yeah. little well, fire yeah. wisps or something. This one right here is a stick breaking off. Yeah, so I see that I got now. Stuff. Look, sometimes our eyes don't work good, Patrick. Well, and I'm you just saying, it, I just looked right at it immediately. Do you notice like, it's breaking okay, off right, right at the point where you're supposed to open it, too? I, I wonder if that was intentional. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, or it's just so. a coincidence. But this is like that. That's making something me like by Hai Tai. Uh, it's called what is it? Kun Cham Cha. What? Yeah, pr- Kun Cham Cha. Amanda Before says that, here, gu- oh yeah, go on. She says that means baked potato. Yeah, Amanda told us this means baked potato when we before um, we got on here. Well, I just found out that this little tabby thing, it says "tenunkot," and it I put it in Google Translator, and it means floating place, which is amazing. <laughs> That's like <laughs> this piece right here, because it's floating. No, just this little like this tab yeah. that you're supposed to use to open. Yeah. Okay. Floating place. The tab is called amazing. floating place. Okay. Yeah, like that's what the, the, the hunger up in the air, so you can <laughs> rip it out. Yeah. But, uh, uh, real cute. What does the thing in red say at the top with that's coming out of the word? It says Soksuiro Kuota. I don't know what that means, but that's what it says. Grilled? Mm. I don't know. I don't have a good vocabulary. <laughs> Let me bring my mine. Stall for like time. It's I'll Google it. Yeah, I was rip do it. that much. And I just got to <laughs> look at them. Just it's a viewing box. You have to smell it. It didn't. It looks like it's only supposed to rip to that far <laughs> on both sides. I hate it. Cool. Right, here we go. Let me in here. Oh, okay. I see. I understand. Uh, yeah, it just means grilled. Can't hear you. It means grilled with a grill. Grilled with, oh, this part. Grilled the, with the grill. Yeah. Red banner. Because the first part, tok suiro. I was typing that in. It said with a grill, and then I got to the the verb, and it just said grilled so i think it means grilled with a grill <laughs> maybe not i don't know well that seems like the appropriate amount of redundancy grill. that's enough korean yeah, we got to talk about the zero food. english on here so i'm gonna open it up so <laughs> it says high tie in roman characters okay fine got a little bit but uh yeah it looks like uh the package okay. is like uh like the pepero packaging kind of wait i have a here's the problem with the packaging i opened up the floating place 
Oh, wait, maybe I didn't, uh, like, open it long enough. Well, yeah, right, you gotta well. rip it all the way around, Here, not yeah, through the Yeah, I didn't port. do that, so I was like, I just created a little peephole, <laughs> but I opened it from the top to actually get them out, and then they're packaged inside of that. Come on, man, like, how much packaging do you need? You're not going into space. You don't need to build a spaceship. Respect the lie, floating like, place. They might be children's snacks, potentially. And that's, that's a fun chill. I mean, I would play I would play with this. I would have done something with it. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. I grew up in a small farm town that I was playing with small boxes like this <laughs> as my fun, my fun time. So they they look like pepperoni sticks, but yet not. They're like oh, these are good. I don't know. Oh, they really kind of remind me of wow, the dunking sticks. Yes, Dunky with the things. cheese. Like you get not the cheese. Dunkaroos, oh, though, and the chocolate, but like, whatever. But the sticks mm -hmm. of those. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, not what I expected. No oh, real bad. It even smells like that. Does not taste like a baked potato. Yeah. So don't have. No, there's no baked potato in there. But it's got a good crunch. That's. Mm -hmm. I will say, having now looked at the actual hmm. this, that the sticks on the box are very representative of what is in the package. Yeah. Like you could look at those and be like, those are cartoonish drawings of <laughs> this, what the stick is. But no. Very accurate. Oh, Sarah came, Sarah's coming Very back for seconds. Yeah, I, that's pretty <laughs> good. I, I could eat I could eat more of these. This honestly makes me want the cheese from those oh, old yeah. dunking things. Or some like, cheese whiz. Honestly, it's like cheese whiz. Yeah, I was going to say, cheese like, whiz, maybe some you just, just spray cheese. Across the, yeah, the top cheese, of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like an appropriately 90s snack. Mm. Yep. The only thing is the can of that would engulf this tiny stick. Like, True. you got to have, like, a little... Like thin, yeah. I don't like the know. diameter of the cheese whiz is actually probably thicker. Yeah. <laughs> it probably is. Well, yeah, it's cheese whiz stuffed with this. Have you seen kun kamja? Have you seen that video where the guy puts the cheese whiz inside the cracker and then just sprays it around and it just spits out the cheese whiz through the middle of the cracker? No, no it sounds I'll send you that. It's an interesting video, but I do feel like there's probably a stuffed version of this mm. with some sort of flavoring Ooh. in it. I mean, it seems like there's almost got to be. Like, this is well, prime for something a, like that. There was, like, a purple potato version that I saw, too. Oh, mm. like an ube? Potato. Mm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm. I'm going to crunch this right in front of the microphone. Oh, that's what I've been doing the entire time. Sorry. I bet half our listeners were like, yeah, do more of that. And the other half are like, please stop. <laughs> I hate mouth sounds. I don't remember what that's called. Um, well, let's jump into ratings. I have a hunch as to what everyone's going to give, but, yeah. um, Amanda, why don't you kick us off? Rate it out of five. Baked potatoes. How many <laughs> baked potatoes do you give this? Yep. Kun kamja. Ooh, Ooh even your one. cat wants them. Cat's like, I hear something crunchy. I want some. You like baked potatoes? I like potatoes? salty snacks. Um, I mean, I feel like it gets zero potatoes. I'm not really getting a baked potato flavor out of it, but I like them. <laughs> wow. I really enjoy them. You can, you can I, I really rate it like a good, I like a good crunchy snack. Um, then I guess I'll give it... I give these a five. I'd eat this entire tube that I have in front of me right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, a, yeah. I'm about to work. I'm about to. These. Yeah, I'm, I'm, say, I'm almost sad that there's not more. Yeah. All right. Patrick. I'm going to give it a five as well. Five asterisk because I want to try the stuffed version or different flavored version of these. And then also, no, this is standalone. I'll give it a five. No asterisk. Five, All no right. asterisk. No caveat. 
I'm also, well, wait, nope. I'm giving it four and three quarters because of the packaging. It's not, right. not wow. happy about the packaging. That's a big deal that for me, man. If I have to work, yeah. if I have to work hard to open your packaging, it had forget it. Floating place right there. I mean, come on, what else yeah, can but you then put? Yeah, you have to get into this bag. Look, I had to do this, and then you I want did another that. sign at the top that to says "not business? floating place." What? I would say the 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 in the inside bag is both recyclable and easy to tear. Oh, it also has a floating place right there. Mm. So that's real cute. Whoops, didn't do that. Um, well, mine came out. <laughs> yeah, see, mine opened like that. So. 4.85 for also 4. recyclability. 4.85. The uh, first 4.85 yeah. on the show, I think. Yep, probably. <laughs> All right, Nathan. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't be that. I think I think it... Uh, you can, though. I you can, can be I'm that give it, I'm like with everyone else. This is great. Five out of five. Uh, only thing that uh, that I would change is... is nope. See, that's not a five, though. Is that maybe uh, there'd be more than one package in this little tube? Okay, I think that still qualifies for a five. That's the, that's still that's the Oklahoma five, right? coming out. I like them yeah, so much like, that I want more of them because this is just a tube, but there's only one package. And then there's like, what, 20 inside the package? Like, I don't know, maybe put... Yeah, if, yeah, he can't give it a four and say it's because I want more because there's yeah. already like <laughs> 600 in this little package. And he wants two packages of 600? That's 1,200. That's yeah. a lot. I want more. <laughs> So I'll give it a 5.01. No, I don't know what that means. But I don't <laughs> I think that really it. works. But you know what I'm saying. All right. I like it. The five math is hard. Carry the three. It all it all shakes out. In the end. But I can't it's give it any, you know, I'm not going to take points off because it doesn't taste like a potato. <laughs> I, I mean, think... I'm still rating mine on a scale of potatoes, even though there's no really? potato <laughs> anything happening in here. Except for maybe even these little bumps. Oh, that are maybe supposed to look like potatoes? I, I can't even read the, I mean, again, the ingredients. I'll have to look the ingredients up. Maybe there is some potato flour in there or something. I don't know. Or maybe they just potato. do baked potatoes in a much simpler way than we do here, where we stack like a shit ton of stuff on top of it, so it's not really a potato anymore. I would argue that this is a more difficult way of doing potatoes, because the way we do a potato is like, here's a potato, cut it in half, bake it, you're done. And then add some stuff on top. But this is like, no, you gotta like, take the potato and figure out a way to roll it and then grill it with a grill and then add a floating place and then add another floating place and then you can eat it so those last two have nothing to do with the potato part either (laughs) they have everything to do if your potato doesn't have a floating place what even are you doing but that's what i'm gonna say to be fair i i can't think of ever making a baked potato on a grill so you know it's always well, just, is it a baked potato oven. if you're I, I guess a grill Grilled is basically potato. baking that's fine there is a cartoon tv show in there about a baked potato that lives in the floating place i don't know what it is coming yet, this we'll fall on cartoon network's adult swim Chachi <laughs> show presents <laughs> We're potato baked potato man now <laughs> floating baked potato oh, man amanda right. thank you again so much for coming on the show um is there a place we i know we kind of briefly talked about it at the beginning that was off air yeah, that was off air off air is there a place that people can contact you or to with, shower you with praise yes, uh, and con- contact you with, with the connection? Uh, how, how would you like people to, if at all? Um, folks can find me if they're interested, I guess, um, on Instagram. Cause I have that now. Uh, and my handle is the Amanda show.com. The Amanda show. <laughs> nice. I was Amazing. Very, very happy when I found that that was available. That's a good one to get. <laughs> You got to start your own show now. 
Yeah, do you wanna, exactly. Do you want to spin off? Because actually, Ooh. KJ is supposed to not even be here. He quit the show two episodes, <laughs> uh, two episodes, ago, episodes ago. So that's um, true. If you need, you can you can come on the Jachi show. We can rebrand as the Amanda show. <laughs> we'll be your co-host. And, and you're the lead KJ's host. kicked off. Well, KJ, is not, wow. KJ still edits the episode, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm you're still off employed. You've got to do back end. So. That's fine. You know, Contractually, <laughs> I'm obligated to... <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been been a privilege. Listeners, go shower her with praise and affection. And uh, also do that for us, at John Chi Show, on all the social platforms. And uh, you can support the show by going to our website, johnchishow.com slash support. You can leave us a review and rating on iTunes and Spotify. You can... Uh, oh, send us an email at gentyshow at justlikemedia.com. And you can call in if you have a question or you want to practice some language. That number is 972-677-8867. If you missed it, back up. Whoa, we have a number? Um, yeah. What's that number uh, again? Oh, yeah. You can, no, they can back <laughs> oh. up. Um, <laughs> bounce back, if you will, uh, like a tennis ball. Um, I'm at KJ Rilke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. I'm N Nowak on Instagram. And I am at Patrick in the world. Really quickly, KJ, I appreciate you ramping up your enthusiasm uh, there at the end of our plugs because you didn't really sound like you cared to share our stuff. You were just like, and you can just find the the list of all the places. Guys. I was like, (sighs) man, it's because I quit quit. the show and I still keep showing up for this dang thing. Go back to it's your my contractual obligations. Sorry to my- <laughs> sorry to run us off course there, but yeah, it's fine. Whatever. I appreciate but, it. Yes, thank you again. Thank you, <laughs> listeners. Thank you, everybody. Until next week, Janji Heyo. Bye. Crunchy, crunchy.